Last Thursday, I was invited to go and speak about Dr. Martin Luther King to the voluntary pre-kindergarten class in a Gainesville preschool. The teacher who invited me is my dear friend, Nita, whom I've known since I first arrived in Gainesville in 1987, an amazing 30 years ago now. We were colleagues at the University of Florida Early Education and Research Center, and we soon became close friends. I had never known anyone like her, someone who could talk quite openly without any fear or embarrassment or hesitation about a topic that many find difficult to address, the topic of race. Nita is African-American. She had an unusual childhood as the only black child in her school in New York City. So she had to negotiate the world of race relations at a very young age. Her experiences were largely positive as a child, and she easily made school friends, who has, some of them are still the, her good friends today. Nita taught me ways to talk about race and skin color through our work together with the very young children in our care. She wanted then, and she still wants now, the children that she teaches to feel good about themselves, whatever their skin color, whatever their ethnic origin, whatever their family background, whatever their personality. In the kindest and most gentle of ways, she is a true and outspoken proponent of the richness of diversity. I would observe her comparing her own skin color with that of each child, describing to them the color of their eyes, the texture of their hair, and all the time asserting that each one of them was beautiful and wonderful and unique. As I think of this now, the phrase from Psalm 139, this will be familiar to those who attended the um, sisterhood meeting this past week, this phrase from Psalm 139 comes to mind, fearfully and wonderfully made. While she could not express her beliefs to the children in religious terms at the University of Florida, since it's a secular institution, she, she still comes across always as deeply faithful and deeply Christian as she is. She is a person of very strong faith. Nita told me that she was inviting me to come and speak about Dr. King because I'm white. Her four- and five-year-old children show a marvelous array of skin tone and ethnicity. They're African-American and Asian Indian American, Caucasian, Hispanic. She wanted these beautiful children to know that Dr. King's words about equality, caring, compassion, and brotherly and sisterly love are for everyone, not just for African Americans. That people other than those with dark skins try to live according to the ideals for which he struggled and died. Looking at Nita's class, 
one could almost believe that Dr. King's dream has become a reality, the dream he expressed in his I Have a Dream speech. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Martin Luther King was inspired by God to do exactly what the psalmist speaks about in Psalm 40, verses 9 and 10. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. See, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. <clears throat> Excuse me. I did not live through the civil rights era in this country, though news of the struggle of African-American people in the South certainly spread across the waters to England. There were very few people of color who lived in the part of England where I grew up, but my family and my neighbors were not without their own prejudices. I grew up hearing that Jewish people, of whom there were a good number in our neighborhood, and Catholics also, were to be considered inferior to us. I was instructed in school that to be British was to be superior to all. I imagine that some of you have clear memories of the prejudices of the South at that time. Though this is a rural area and may not have seen the marches and the boycotts, I imagine people, both black and white, felt the impact of the civil rights movement. I imagine there were tensions within families, within the community, perhaps even between spouses around civil rights issues. I imagine there may have been real fear on the part of someone who dared to speak out, who dared to voice the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. The psalmist here refers to the deliverance of God's people. God's freedom can be and is a freedom of the heart in times of struggle when the body is not free. It is the freedom of God that they could not take away from Dr. King when he was in Birmingham jail. It is the freedom of God that white leaders in South Africa could never, even after 27 years of breaking rocks on Robin Island, take away from Nelson Mandela. It is the freedom of God that the Romans could not destroy in the Apostle Paul when they held him in chains. There is indeed a freedom of the heart and the spirit that conquers all bodily imprisonment. 
And yet, this speaks also to the freedom to live as equals in a place of one's choosing. The psalmist's news of deliverance is the news that was sought by the Jews when they were enslaved in Egypt. And it is the same news that is heard by all who are held captive in so many ways, whether it be the captivity of oppression by corrupt regimes, whether it be the captivity of sex slaves in this nation and other nations, whether it be the captivity of dire poverty, of continuing racial or gender-based injustice, or homelessness, or addiction, or the crippling fear of hate crimes. It is the glad news that one day all people will live as equals, with true equality of opportunity, regardless of race or ethnic origin. In recent months, I've heard it said that a number of forums, sorry, I've heard it said in a number of forums that those who preach from the pulpit a gospel of caring for the stranger in the land or a gospel of inclusion of all sisters and brothers, gay, straight, transgender, in Christ's loving community, that they, that we are venturing into political territory. Lon's son, my stepson, who is a Baptist, forwarded an article to us this week from the Baptist News by a Baptist preacher from Dallas. His name is Mark Wingfield. Wingfield makes the following arguments. He says, in the coming months, some congregants are likely to assume political bias from the pulpit, not because the preacher is truly venturing into political realms, but because politics is moving us into realms about which the Bible has very explicit teachings. Wingfield writes that some people will hear political statements when a pastor preaches against the prosperity gospel, a a concept, Wingfield says, is one of our greatest modern heresies that defies the example of Jesus himself. And that others may hear political bias when the pastor preaches the biblical mandate to welcome the stranger and care for the refugees. Or the New Testament truth that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female. Reformed theologian Karl Barth was absolutely insistent that the church stand outside of state and national politics. By this he meant not that the church should avoid issues that might be politically sensitive, in fact, quite the opposite. He wrote and preached that the only way the church could credibly preach the word of God was to be Christ's church and Christ's church alone. 
Only then could the church stand firm on matters of right and wrong, such as the rights of all people to justice and to freedom. Bart cautioned the church of the 1930s and 40s to stand firm in its belief in Christ alone. By this he meant that the church must hold up not Christ and any other entity, not Christ and family, not Christ and self, not Christ and country, but Christ alone. Because at times we might need to step aside, the church might need to step aside and say, my family or my country is not following the way of Christ, and we must stand firm in our belief in Christ. Dr. Martin Luther King was first and foremost a man of God, a pastor, a preacher, and scholar who knew biblical teaching very thoroughly. His speeches and his actions on behalf of oppressed peoples were firmly, solidly grounded in Scripture. Dr. King saw that the laws of this country in some parts of the USA went directly against the teachings of God. His hopes and faith were in the prophecies of God that freedom would one day be a reality for the African-American people of the South. It truly can be said of his life and his work, as the psalmist says in our scripture today, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Even as he stood on that rock that the Lord called him to, Martin Luther King called upon the churches of the time to stand with him in support of people who were oppressed by laws and traditions that raised white people above black people. In his letter from Birmingham jail, he set forth the example of the early Christians who fearlessly challenged the powers of the time to change their unjust practices. He wrote of their fearlessness, the power they demonstrated through their willingness to suffer for what was right. He wrote that they were too God-intoxicated, I love that term, too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. At the same time that he criticized the church for lacking the will to fully support the civil rights movement, he wrote of his great love for the church, since he himself came from a family of preachers. Dr. King's voice calls to the church still to continue the work for justice and freedom and compassion, for equal rights. It calls to us to tell the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. 
with God beside us. Let God's church, like Martin Luther King, tell of God's faithfulness and salvation. Let the church not conceal God's steadfast love and faithfulness from the great congregation, but speak boldly of God's liberating power so that all may say, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Amen. And now, if you would stand, we have an affirmation of faith that is printed in the bulletin, and I neglected to ask people ahead of time to be readers for this. So I'm going to ask if there are three brave people in the congregation here who would read this, sight unseen. Um, there's reader one, reader two, and reader three. Would, would anybody be willing to be a reader for us? I've got one over here, Keith. Anyone else? You, you can stay in the, in the congregation, or you can come forward. Martha, are you, are you, and, and was somebody else, the third reader? Oh, Casey, thank you, in the back, thank you. Oh, with the one, two, and three, yeah. Oh God, okay. who has created your children to be free, it says in the word, indeed, that you are our God, and we are your people. From our earliest days, as the people whom you intend to be free, oh God, you have called us forth from self-seeking bondage comfort, complacency, and complaint to bring and redeeming action for justice everywhere in the world. You are our freeing God, and we would be your freeing and freeing people. O God of Exodus and the burning bush, of the prophets and of Jesus, we hear your powerful calling to be your servants in the service of all those who are oppressed. At every turn we hear your voice in the cries of the poor, the hungry, the imprisoned, and the broken. For you made yourself one with those who seek justice, freedom, and peace. We share a vision, a promise, and a yearning for the day of your reign, O God. You are our servant God, and we would be your serving people. O God, our sustainer, search our hearts and reveal to us our sinfulness, all the ways that we contribute to injustice and to self-destroying bondage. Give us deep courage to find the true path of your way, ready to give our very selves as living sacrifices for your will. We have heard your calling. Hear us now as we make our pledge. You are our God, and we are your people. We pledge ourselves now to pursue relentlessly that living, breathing justice which transforms persons and peoples to your will for justice. We recommit ourselves and pledge ourselves, our funds, our actions. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. And I just would like to say that the uh, liturgy, uh, practically all of the liturgy today was taken from um, resources that are on the Presbyterian Church's uh, website, specifically for Martin Luther King Day. If any of you are ever looking for worship resources, there are some wor wonderful resources there. 
Um, let us sing a hymn that Dr. King referred to in one of his great speeches. I think it was uh, his I Have a Dream speech, the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And we'll just sing verses 1, 3, and 4. Um, and you should have a copy of that in your bulletin.